Lord, we just pray, Lord God, this, this morning, that, Father God, it would be your voice speaking to us. God, I know that, God, I can't, Father God, change anyone's heart, but, Lord, through your Spirit, you can speak through me to every single person here. God, I pray that no one would leave this morning without hearing from you, Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray, Lord, let there be a deposit in our hearts from you, God, and I pray that we would be changed and challenged and transformed by the Word of God this morning, in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, well, I want to speak this morning a little bit about the overflow of a consecrated life. And I've been really inspired recently about, uh, you know, I, I heard the news a few weeks ago about Billy Graham's death. And I just, I started, you know, I started reading into his life. And man, I just got so inspired by this amazing man of God. And, you know, I had, I'm one of those people um, when I hear about something, I just love to go all out about finding information about them. So when he died, I heard about him passing on. Well, he's not dead, he's in heaven. But when I heard about his, um, you know, his passing, I just started, man, Billy Graham. So I started looking up all this information about him. So I was on like Wikipedia for like an hour, just reading all his life. And then I'd click on one of the little links that would take me to another site. And I ended up just listening to these old sermons of Billy Graham, speaking to people in the 1950s and 1960s. And man, was I totally inspired by this incredible person, you know, and what he'd done. You know, he'd spoken all over the world. He'd preached to millions of people, seen just, just, just stacks and stacks of people come into the kingdom, make decisions for Christ. And he had impacted the world probably like no one else in our generation. He just had such an ability to present the gospel and to challenge the mindset of the time and to not just preach in a good way, but really to deliver the word of God and to, to preach on the scriptures and make it relevant. And, uh, and, and I was so inspired by his life. I actually, I just had this moment where I was sitting there going, man, God, even if I just had like a glimpse of what he had on my life. You know when you hear about someone that's done something amazing, you go, man, God, even if I just had a little bit of that, uh, you know, man, God, I'd love that. And I really, I just started really actually just, just kind of crying out to God. I stood up on my knees just going, God, I need you. I, we need you. I need you. I want to have what this man of God carried. And it made me realize, you know, what was his life about? What was he all about? How did, how, how did God use him in such an incredible way? So I started, you know, investigating a little bit. And that's where I started coming to this message. Because I reckon a man of God like that, Billy Graham, God used him because his life was not about what he did in public. It was about what he did when no one was looking. It was about his life being about what it looked like when there was no crowds, no cameras, no microphone. That's what his life was really about. He had consecrated so much of his life to God and the way that he lived. And that stuff really started speaking to me. So that's what I want to talk about. And I want to use three examples uh, from the Bible in that this morning. But I believe that, you know, an overflow of a consecrated life, you can't hide it. Others will see it. They'll be drawn to it. And they'll want what you have. And, uh, you know, others will be convicted and they probably will hate what they see. But, you know, when people are faced with the cross, when people are faced with the truth, they have to make a choice. Do I live up to this? Do I accept this? Do I want to pursue this? Or in their heart, you know, are they actually not really wanting to accept this? And I think sometimes that's what we've got to be willing to preach is that Jesus came. He died on a cross. His death is real and his resurrection is real and he's alive today. And sometimes the cross is a little bit offensive in the way it presents. But, you know, when you know the good news of Jesus, when you've heard about what God has done for you, when he's died on the cross and bled for your sins, there's something in you that just says, I need to know this God. I need to know this creator. And, uh, and, that, and that's the starting point 
for a life that becomes consecrated to God. And I'll talk about that a little bit later. So what does it mean to be consecrated? Well, consecration is a voluntary act of committing oneself into worship, into prayer, and of service to God. The word consecrated literally means to unite by force with the sacred, to unite by force with the sacred. And there's some great examples on that. And the first one I want to look at is John the Baptist. John the Baptist lived a consecrated life to God. And in Matthew 3, if you want to turn there this morning, in Matthew 3, uh, verses 1 to 2, we just read about how John set aside a life uh, for Christ. So Matthew 3. In those, do- in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness to- of Judea. He came and said, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And in those days, when John came, the first thing he preached about was the word repent. And, you know, I love what he said. He's talked about the kingdom of God is at hand. And I believe for Church Unlimited and for our nation, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We are not looking for 50 years for a move of God. God has promised, he's spoken through his prophetic word, that he's going to move in this day, in this hour, in this city, in this church, in your life. And that's what I'm excited about because I believe the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That God is already starting to pour out his spirit on those that are willing. He's starting to pour out his spirit on those that would give their life to God. But what precedes that is often this word, repent. And, you know, I think we have an understanding of repentance, but I just want to look at it a little bit more this morning. You know, how the word repent is not a feelings word. The word repented is an action word. John told his listeners to make a change of their mind, to not merely listen or feel sorry for what they had done. The word repent in this situation implies a total alteration of the mind, a change in their judgment, a change in disposition, and a change of affections. Maybe you need to consider Maybe how do I change my ways? How do I change my mind? Where have I thought amiss? Where do I need to think again? The word repentance literally means changing your ways. You know, when a lot of people came to John the Baptist, they came to him to be baptized. They knew there was something was happening down by this river. God was doing something, and John the Baptist was there. So people came in their droves to find out, and a lot of people went through the waters of baptism. But the truth is, is not a lot of those people ended up following Christ their whole life. A lot of people came. They wanted to know what's happening. I want to be part of this. I need God. But when it really came to it, they went through the waters, but not all of them lasted the distance. And repentance truly means to actually turn your ways around and walk in the direction God wants for you. And you know, to be honest, as a Christian, this is probably one of the biggest challenges in our lives. We can have a moment with God. God can really touch our hearts. We can be transformed by him, but whether we go on and actually live the ways that he wants us to go is a whole other thing. And I reckon we, you know, we struggle with this word repentance, but it really is a change of direction. It's not just sorrow. 2 Corinthians 17 says, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. Repentance is the gateway for true change in our lives. So why don't we repent? Well, I reckon a lot of it, and we've heard recently from Pastor Tark, is about surrendering. It's about sanctifying, surrendering our hearts to God. And you know, if we're honest, this is really hard to do. And I know this because I've got kids and I've got four kids. 
And often with my kids, you know, I see this happening all the time about not really wanting to let things go. And, you know, the other week uh, I, was, I, was, uh, I was doing something with Benji in the lounge and we were playing and he, uh, we had a bit of a wrestle and he fell over and he knocked over one of the other kids. That happens every day. And uh, we were having a great time. And then I just said to him, Benji, you know, you've knocked over your sister. Just, you just say sorry. And he's like, no, I'm not saying sorry. And I was like, no, Benji, you need to understand. You know, you've knocked her over. You know, it wasn't your fault, but just say sorry. Just, just say sorry. Just be nice. And, uh, and he's just like, no, Daddy, no. And then he storms off into his room. And I was just thinking, oh, man, okay, here we go. So I go down, and I'm just thinking, you know, Benji, it was okay. You know, what you did, it's all right. But you just need to sort of go back and just, just say, look, you're sorry. You know, you're a big brother. You've got to look after your little sister. Come on. And, uh, and anyway, and so, and it, but it was interesting. Like, you know, he didn't feel like he'd done anything wrong. But to actually do something that I was asking him to and to let go of the little situation, for him was a really, really big deal. And that seems like a little thing. But a lot of the times with us and with our Heavenly Father, there's so many things that we're not always willing to let go, if we're honest. We don't always want to let go of that thing that's on our heart. You know, maybe it's money. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's the career that, you know, you've been going down and you've been feeling God's talking about it. Maybe it's that sin in your life that you know is keeping you from the fullness of God. And we're so reluctant as Christians, as individuals, sometimes to let go fully to God. But this word repentance talks about us making a change, making a turning around. Um, Galatians 5.9 talks about the yeast. You know, all it takes is that little bit of yeast through the whole batch to sour the whole thing. And, you know, sometimes I worry that as, you know, as believers we can get into a place where most of our lives is going really, really well, but there's this little bit of yeast that's really just holding us back from living in the fullness of God. And, uh, you know, Pastor Tuck talks about it a lot. You know, when, when you're in that lukewarm space where you haven't really turned everything over to God, it's like you're not really living uh, this wild life and enjoying the temporary pleasures. And you're not really over here living full on for God, enjoying his blessings, even though it might be difficult. You know, you just know you're in the place God wants you. You're in this place of tension between the two. And, you know, that's a horrible place to be. God doesn't want you to remain in that lukewarm place, not surrendered to God. And, uh, and I think, you know, that's, that's a part of repentance, is being willing to really let go and let God. And another reason I feel as well that we struggle with repentance is that we have this fear of failure in our culture, I think, today. There's this real fear that people are going to see who I am and maybe feel like I've failed somebody or I've failed myself or I've failed my dad or I've failed my wife or my husband or I've failed those around me. We really struggle with the fact that, you know, people are looking and they need to see this outward appearance of who who we think we are. But deep down, there's a lot of stuff that we know we're carrying and we're afraid to actually turn that over to God and let him in. But can I say this morning, The biggest failure, I fear, is when we get to the end of our lives and we realize we've carried all of that stuff to the grave and we never dealt with the things that God was touching on in our hearts. We never dealt with those little foxes, those little bits that got into our life and ended up destroying the batch of dough. You know, that's the place that you don't want to end up. That is the failure point. Not right now, not today. You've still got a chance. You've still got time to really work those things out. You know, the truth is, is that none of us really have it all together. There is nobody that really has it sorted. The people that drive to work in the car next to you, they don't have it all together. The people that work in the office place next to you, there's probably the fact they don't have it all together. The person sitting next to you this morning possibly does not have it all together. Why don't you turn to the person next to you and say, thanks for sitting next to me. (laughs) 
<laughs> Jesus. Jesus is the one. Jesus is the one who had his, has it all together. And he is our source of strength. There's nowhere else to turn. I'm sorry. I wish I could say that I could fix all your problems or one of our life group leaders or someone else. But no, Jesus is the only source to turn over your biggest fears and failures and to come back to him. Can I tell you, if you do that, if you get the courage and the grace and the strength, receive from him what you need to do and, and find the courage to repent and turn to God, he will meet you where you're at. You know, when Billy Graham did his crusades, they used to sing the song, just, just come as you are. Just come as you are. Don't come with this pretense of who you think you need to be. Just come with what you have, with whatever baggage you've got. Come to me. And I'm talking not just to anyone that's newly saved. I'm talking to everybody. We might be thinking we've been Christian for 30 years. Come with the things that you've got, and God will deal with it. God will sort it out. He will put you in a place where you can receive his grace and his mercy to move on from that. The call to repentance is so important. And, uh, you know, it's, it's mentioned everywhere throughout the gospel. Step two that I want to talk about, about consecration, is consecration. That could have come out really bad. Consecration is radical obedience, having this fellowship with God. And I reckon the life of Noah is one of the incredible lives that we look at in the Bible when we look at radical obedience to God. He's one of my personal heroes, and uh, there's no one else better, I think, to look at than this. Noah was a man obedient to the commands of God. Uh, even in the New Testament, in Hebrews 11.7, Noah is hailed as an example of obedience. And uh, though he had, it had never rained on the earth before, if you think about the story of Noah, just the obedience that he had, you know, it had never rained, not one day on the earth. And God says to Noah, build me a boat for when it floods. You know, it's never rained ever before. And here he is being asked to build this, build this massive boat, not just a small boat, a very, very, very big boat, and to build it exactly the way God wants to build it. That takes incredible obedience to do that. And I'm sure that in the process of building this boat, Noah probably faced incredible hardships. You know, he, he would have been ridiculed by his neighbors and his friends for building this massive... I mean, imagine if God asked you to build something today that doesn't exist for something that's never happened. You know, imagine if God was... I'm just trying to think of a great example. But imagine if he asked you to build something that doesn't exist for an event that's not going to happen, that's never happened, you would have to have an incredible amount of trust and faith in God. And that's exactly what Noah did. But, you know, he built this thing. He obeyed God every part of the way. And when the rains came down and the floodgates opened, Noah was on the right side. Noah trusted in God. And the key with Noah that I love is that he was near to God. The Bible talks about Noah being near to God, that literally he walked with God. And uh, he had this habitual fellowship with God. He was always in the habit of walking with God. And, uh, you know, I, I love what he talks about in the Bible about Noah actually really walking with God closely because I think that's the key to obedience is really is this closeness with God. It's this walking with God day in and day out. And, uh, you know, Katie and I have been challenged recently about just what this looks like as a family. And, uh, and, you know, a few months ago, we just, we found we were having, you know, pretty bad uh, sleeping with the, with the kids up and down, and, you know, some mornings were right off, and some nights were terrible, and we just kind of got to a point where we thought, something's wrong, something's not working here, and, you know, we we're missing our time with God, and we just really felt God say, okay, whatever happens, make a commitment to, to get up and spend at least half an hour with me, and so I'd get up, and I'd make 
coffee and stuff, and we'd, and we'd just sit down and actually pray together, read the Word of God together, and just commit the day to God. That was one little step that we thought, we can do this. So we committed to two weeks of doing this. I know it sounds like really not that big deal, but for us, it was like we need to do this. So we sat down one morning, we started, uh, we started just by praying, just praying for the week, praying for God's blessing, praying for our house, praying for our children, praying for our church. And, you know, that was the start of just committing everything to God and this, uh, this walking with God. And that was about two months ago now, around about that. And the change that's happened in our lives as a couple, as a family, just in our relationship with God, man, God has just so much more taken the higher place in our life. Just the feeling of his presence, just the sense of, you know, we can face today, we can go through whatever, we can have a bad day, we can have a good day. And, uh, you know, we can even have an argument. See, God is turning up in your marriage. When you're able to have a good biffo and you turn up at the end of the day and you're able to just say, you know what, I'm sorry about that. I didn't mean, you know, and actually talk about those things. And actually, you know, you know, these things sound simple, but if you can't nail these things, these are some of the fundamentals, I think, of actually walking with God. And for us, this is where we were at. And so God started turning up in these times, and we just started really praying and believing for things to happen in our life, in our family, and in our church. And, uh, you know, I talked about it before, but radical obedience, you know, you may get mocked. There may be times or seasons where your faith will cost you something. And in some ways, I wonder, is it costing you something? Is your faith actually putting you in a place where it does cost you something? There are seasons like that. But I also feel like, you know, if we're really truly shining the light of God wherever we are, whether we work, whether in a family, whether we're studying, wherever it is, you know, there's moments where sharing our faith may actually cost us something. But that's okay because obedience to God doesn't necessarily always mean popularity, but it does gain respect, respect from God and respect from those that are looking for the truth. You know, that's what it means to walk in obedience. And uh, your obedience to God may not always be logical, but it, and it may not be reasonable, but it will be effective in whatever God has for you to do. And that is the key. God wants you to be effective. Wherever you are, he wants you to be effective in living for him. And, uh, you know, Noah, I think, you know, he probably, I don't know, it doesn't talk about it a lot, but he probably had these great negotiation sessions with God. When God was talking about the ark and he's saying, okay, I want you to build it to, you know, a certain dimension this long and I want it to build it certain dimensions high and there. And, you know, I wonder whether he had it in him in nature to sort of say, well, does it really need to be that long? Could we just make it maybe a little bit shorter and a little bit lower and not so high and, you know, the, the tar pitch thing, let's just leave that for now. I wonder if he had these negotiation skills with God and actually trying to bargain a little bit with how God wanted him to do it. And because I think that as Christians, sometimes we're great negotiators. We love to try and uh, maybe just try and find these little compromises with God. So God says, you know, hey, I want you to actually go out and do something for your neighbor next weekend, being a good neighbor. And you think, man, that's a great idea, you know. I'm going to leave that to the other person in my church. No, come on, you can do this. This is an easy step. You know, we always negotiate with God where we want to be at. But, um, you know, Noah followed the plan. He followed the design. He followed every step because he actually had a plan of salvation for particular animals to flood the earth again. You know, if he hadn't have built it that way, maybe they wouldn't have been able to fit them all in. God's always got a reason for the way he wants to do things. And it's up to us to be able to step into that obedience that God wants us to live in. And lastly, when it comes to living a consecrated life for God, uh, you know, I believe... Um, we need to live in a different way. We need to live a different way. 
You know, this generation is really crying out for truth, looking for the way that we need to live. They're tired of lukewarmness, they're tired of people that don't really care, that aren't really listening. We need to live in a way that is completely different. Jesus came and he lived on, his ministry was three years long, and he lived a completely different way to which the world has seen. And that is our nature, that is what we should be doing. And, you know, Daniel was probably one of the best examples of living a different way in the Bible. He lived a consecrated life to God. He separated himself unto God and lived differently than others. He positioned his heart after God and prayed three times a day, and he fasted as well. You know, he sought after God while no one else was watching. And his life was marked by miracles and deliverances, you know, the lion's den, the fiery furnace. There was visions and dreams in God's favor. His life was alive to God's purposes. And uh, I don't know about you, but I want this kind of life that Daniel lived. You know, he lived in a generation in Babylon that was totally against God, that had walked away from God. You know, they weren't interested in this God of, of the Hebrews. They weren't interested in what Daniel had to say. And we live in a generation today, in a time, where people aren't always interested in hearing about the gospel. But the truth is, deep down, people are desperately lonely. They need community. They need connection. They need a savior. And that is the world in which we live. You know, Daniel lived at a time where there was all sorts of things going on in Babylon. You know, it was the most, uh, it was the most sinful place in history. You know, the Bible talks about it being the ultimate place of desecration. And now we live in a place and a time where, you know, our, our hearts, our families, our, all these things happening. People's hearts aren't surrendered to God, but he has this hope, this incredible hope in Jesus, which is in you and me and in his church, and that's his vehicle. That's his vehicle for salvation. That's his hope, the church, us, me and you, here in this city and all over this country as well. And that is why I get excited about, you know, what God does in an individual heart, what God's doing in your life. Because when we're repented, when we're obedient to God, and we're living a different way, you can bring so much hope to so many places. You know, the Bible talks about a light, you know, putting a light on a lampstand for the whole room to see. And that's what I feel when our hearts are surrendered for Christ. It's like a bright light in a dark place. Because, you know, all the things that the world is saying, they don't work. All the lies that they're throwing out there and, and all these different places, they ultimately leave us hungry for truth. And that is why God wants to use you and me to reach this world. You know, Daniel was only about 14 when he was taken from his home and forcibly marched to a strange land. And, you know, he was subjected to strong indoctrination and surrounded by powerful and jealous enemies. He was exposed to great temptation in the land of Babylon. And yet he not only survived three different governments, but he was considered so significant and irreplaceable, he served each one exactly the same position and power and responsibility. He went from government to government to government, serving at the, pretty much the highest level he could uh, in these places. And God's favor was upon his life. You know, if Daniel had no grace or courage to refuse the royal foods sacrificed to idols, you remember when he first came to Babylon, there was that test, and he refused all the food that was sacrificed to the idols and just asked for the vegetables. And, you know, that was one of the first tests and he did that. He lived a different way right from the outset. And uh, if he hadn't have done that, he never would have had the power or the grace to stand firm in the lion's den or for his free friends to be survive the fiery furnace. And I think with Daniel, you know, there's some amazing truths that we need to know today. Um, you know, one of them is, is that his, Daniel demonstrates the real truth about godliness. True spirituality never depends 
on things being easy, things being comfortable. You think about Daniel. You know, he was in probably one of the most difficult environments and times ever to be. And yet he was so close to God. His spirituality, his, his pushing into God and his pursuit of God was at an all-time high. You know, he prayed and fasted three times a day. We prayed three times a day. And that is something that I think we can quite easily forget sometimes. Uh, often, I, you know, we say things like, man, if only it was easier. If only things were just a little bit easier, then I could, you know, serve God with my whole heart. You know, if only I had that car that I need or that house that I need, or only if I had the right job, or only if I had a better haircut, if only I had more hair, if only I looked a little bit different, if only I had this or that. We always talk about the other things that we might need, the other things that might make life a little bit easier. Or here's a good one. If only I could own a house in Auckland. Is anyone in that boat? If only I could do that. Is anyone, if only I could own a house in Hamilton. Oh, no. No, no, no hands in there. See, things may not always necessarily be easy. But if you really want to grow in God, sometimes the hardest seasons in life is where God is going to grow that faith, that prayer, that pursuit of him. You know, and that, honestly, church, that is the place to be. You know, if, if everything is too easy, maybe it's a good time to ask some questions. Am I pushing out in God? Am I growing in my faith? If everything is too easy, am I really stretching myself and making the most of the opportunities that are right here, right now, and becoming more like Jesus? You know, a good example of this, I think, is sometimes like a rugby team. You know, um, you know they start the season at the beginning of the season, and uh, they go into the first game, and it's going to be, you know, it's their first game, it's going to be hard, and they enter the season, and, you know, they're trying to suss out the other teams, and, you know, as the season goes on, they might win games or lose games, but they probably get a little bit better. I'm not going to mention any certain teams, but they're going to get a little bit better throughout the year. So, you know, they track and they track and they get a bit better, and, uh, and things become a little bit normal for them. They try and figure out things. But the truth is, is that every single game and every single tackle is just as hard as the last tackle that they've made. It doesn't mean that the tackles get easier or the games get easier. The games are still gritty. The games are still hard. But they see over attraction, over a, lot, over a season, where they've come as a team and how far they've come as a, as a team. And often like that, that's like us for God. You know, when we want things to always be easy, you know, we're not necessarily going to track in the direction God wants for us. But when we're willing to go through those, some of those hard tackles that life throws at us, some of those hard games, some of those seasons even, where it's not always the greatest, when we go through that stuff and we're living to live through that and be a light for Christ, that's where God takes us on and up in Him and become more like Him. And remember, the light shines the best when it's in a dark place. Matthew 5.16 says, Let your light so shine before man that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And that is what we want to see. We want to see people come in to see God move in the city, to see God move in our families, to give God the glory in whatever we're doing. We want to see God take all the glory and for him to be praised. And, uh, you know, I believe, church, that we're moving into a season where the kingdom of God is going to be manifest more and more in your life and in this city and in these streets and in this church. And, you know, I believe that God's going to do it through people that have consecrated their hearts to God that have said yes to God, that have turned away from the ways they were living 
and turn to God 100%, that are willing to be obedient, even though it might cost them something, or even though they might face a little bit of rejection or mockery, and that are willing to live a slightly different way, willing to live in a way that God would have for them. And, uh, you know, we're in one of the most, I believe, one of the most intense times in human history right now. You and I live at one of the most intense times. I believe we're coming into the end of the human era in some ways, and the pressures are mounting, you know, and in light of this, God wants us to walk in the greatest anointing and His presence that the world has ever seen. We must be consecrated to God in this time of crisis. We must separate our hearts from sin and to union with God, all the while loving those that are still walking in darkness. And, uh, and I believe that God's going to, you know, He's going to raise people up, even in this church, that are going to do over and above the things that we've seen or heard of ever before. You know, Jesus said that you're going to do things, you, you know, when I leave this earth, you're going to do things greater than this. There's people here in this room, you're going to do greater things even than this. Even so, what we've seen in Auckland, even what we've seen already in this church, and, uh, and I believe it comes from this place of consecration to God, of commitment to God, and uh, being willing to, to sow into that. So I just want to lastly share four simple ways to have a consecrated life for God, just four simple steps. And uh, I believe, you know, what we sow is what we reap. So when we sow into these, God is going to reap them in our life. The first one is we need to start cutting out the unnecessary stuff in life. Just begin where you are. Take one small step. Ask God to help you focus on cutting out the things that are not necessary anymore. Too much of something. You know, what do they say? Too much of anything too good or too much of... uh, yeah, there's a great line that says something about that. Too much of reality TV is probably too bad. Too much of anything in our diet, too much of the wrong things to eat is actually too bad for you. What do you need to cut out? What is the unnecessary stuff? Too many commitments to too many things. You need to get focused. Focus on the things that have you. You know, sometimes I wonder if we get to the other side of eternity and we realize all the things we did didn't really have a lot of eternal consequence. But if we had spent some time doing the things that really mattered, you know, we heard it on the screen, just take the 30 seconds, take extra 30 seconds. What would that do to change your life, to change someone else's life? Number two is make time for prayer and fasting. Put it in your schedule. Actually write it down. Put it in. Where's it going to be? Consecrate these times to God. And, you know, if you've never prayed and fasted before, just start with one day. Just start with half a day and give it, you know, give it your best. You're not going to die if you fast just for a day. You're probably not going to die if you fast for three days. But put it in there so that it's actually in there and you build up to it with some expectation. You know, we did three days of prayer and fasting recently. And man, the presence of God in our lives and in our church has just gone up and up. So I encourage you to put it in there so you know it's coming up and that it's going to happen. And thirdly, get a hunger for the Word of God. You know, I've been talking about Daniel, about John the Baptist, about Noah. Find out more about this stuff. Read it. Get into it. Soak your life in the Word of God. When you're walking with the Word of God as your compass and as your aid, those things will, those scriptures will spring to mind when you're facing different stuff. The Word of God, the Word of God says that it's a lamp unto your feet, a light unto your path. And that is something we so desperately need these days as the way forward. And that's where the Word of God is so powerful. So dig into that. And the last thing is live in an expectation that God is going to break out any day, any moment in your life. Live with that. Can I encourage you, live that God, tomorrow, next week, any moment is going to break out in what you're doing. You know, maybe it's going to be a small miracle. Maybe it's going to be big. I don't know. 
But you know, when you're living with an expectation that, God, I want to see my family come to Christ. I want to see them this week, this year. I want to see them come in. I want to see my friends and my family and my neighbors come to know you as their personal savior. You know, I want to see you move in our, on the streets and in our university and, uh, and that sort of stuff. That's when God starts drawing close to those things. You know, you live in an expectation that God is going to move. And you know, you reap what you sow. If that's the way we live, if those are the words we're using, those are the things we're going to reap in our harvest. Those are the things that God is going to move. And, uh, you know, we need to be people that say, I want God and nothing else in this world. I want to go as far as possible for a human in seeking after him and living abandoned to him. You know that verse that says, seek first the kingdom of God in Matthew 28. Seek first the kingdom of God above all other things. And when you do that, all those things will be added unto you. But it starts first with seeking God and putting him first. Well, the world needs Jesus, and he is the only answer to humanity that has gone terribly wrong. And he wants you and I to be willing and to be available for him. So, you know, maybe there's another Billy Graham sitting in this room. Maybe there's another Mother Teresa. Maybe there's just someone that's willing to take one small step and see the move of God and wherever they are. But we are in an unlimited church with an unlimited potential filled with unlimited people. Amen? And that's all living inside of you. So, come on, why don't we stand to our feet as the worship team just comes up this morning. And, uh, you know, I just want to close just by saying, you know, consecration to God is the one thing that I believe that God really wants to do in our hearts this morning. He wants us to get close to Him. You know, the world's looking for excitement and for quick fixes and for glamour, but it doesn't really satisfy. The world promises high rewards, but it only leads to death and disappointment. But we have that hope in Jesus. So... I want us this morning to really exalt God. And as we exalt His name, as we praise His name, why don't you lift your heart and your hand and just let God enter in. Maybe maybe you need to bring your heart before Him in repentance and just say, God, here I am. I surrender all I am to you. Maybe you need to bring whatever, whatever it is. Maybe there's an issue or something you're dealing with and bring it in repentance to Him. Or maybe you're struggling with living in that obedience. And just asking God, Lord God, give me that, that, that favor and that grace to live in obedience to you. Or maybe it's just living a different way. You know, you need God's blueprint to live a different way for the, for the calling and the purpose he has for your life. So we're going to sing that song, I Exalt Thee. And as we do it, just lift your heart, lift your head, lift your voice to God and let him into it.